Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. John chapter 7. This is a powerful passage. This is a, a verse for us that we use around here a lot. It says this, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, oh, come on, Jesus, meek and mild, loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams, same thing he told the woman at the well, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Upon that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Those are the ones that got it right. Still others said, How can he come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that Christ will come out of David's family from Bethlehem, which Jesus did? Thus the people were divided. Because of Jesus. Now, we would like to say that Jesus is a unifier. But he's only a unifier to those that believe him. To everyone else, he's a divider. You know, Jesus said this. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And many times we would think that, oh, Jesus, just he just wants everybody to gather, gather and be kind of happy and, you know, kind of you know, play around on rainbows and ride unicorns. We kind of think that that's the picture of Jesus, but, but there's, there's a dividing factor with the reality of who he is. There's a line that, that we have to cross to get on the same page that Jesus is on. It's not like, oh, you just, you know, like you believe in the fairy, the, the, the fairy godmother, or the, the tooth fairy, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. There is a line that Jesus draws and he says, come to me, drink. Now, it's interesting, I never studied this before until this week, but it's, this, this story starts off and it says, on the last day of the, of the feast, the greatest day of the feast, and what, what's being spoken of here, if you will go back and read in John chapter 7, which I trust that you will, they're having what is called the Feast of Tabernacles, um, and, or, or Sukkot, which is what the Hebrews would call it. Now, this was considered the greatest of feasts. The greatest of feasts. People would come, and it wasn't just Jews that would come. Actually, people from other nations would come to this great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would set up tents around the city. And every day for these eight days, they would come into the city, and they would, they would do the ceremonies. They would have, there would be teaching going on, and they would live in these little booths, these little tents. Now, what they were celebrating is they were celebrating the heritage of Israel. They were celebrating the days of Moses whenever people lived in a tent that traveled around the desert. How many of you know that we are now in traveling tents? Right? God's presence on the earth, we are a picture of the tabernacle in the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, the tabernacle would be moved, right? It would be moved around the desert. You guys remember that for 40 years. So, Then David said, God doesn't need to live in a tent. We need to build him a temple. He needs a permanent place. Well, so what Jesus does is he uses this feast of people going and living in tabernacles. We live, how many know that you live in in a temporary body, right? That's why when you start getting a little older, it takes you a little longer to get out of bed. 
Right a few years ago, I, I was having headaches, and so I went to an eye doctor, turned, just turned 40, and uh, the lady said, well, <laughs> she said, you're getting a little older, and those muscles in your eye don't work the way that, and I was like, that, I don't want to hear that, in the name of Jesus, no, I don't want to hear that, and so we know that we live in these temporary houses, these tabernacles, if you will. In fact, this was so key. That's why they called it the Feast of Tabernacles, because people would come and they would live in these tabernacles. Some call it the, the, the Feast of, of, uh, of Booths. So they lived in these booths or the Feast of Shelters. And they stayed there. They lived in these houses. They came from their homes. They came to devote eight days to the Lord. Now, you got to understand, it was around September, October time. It was the time of harvest. So all these people were coming to give thanks to God. They were saying, thank you, Lord, for the harvest. So they would make these, um, they were almost instruments that they would make from different branches of some of the harvest, and they would begin to shake it. And when they shake it, all these people, you think thousands of people shaking these, and it began to sound like rain. And then every day on the feast, when this was happening, when the, when the priest would come out, they would get water from underneath the temple. Now, there's a, there's a, a stream, and the, you guys need to study this sometime because it's just going to blow you away, the image of Jesus. Underneath the temple, there is a pool of water. Now, it's under the ground. And so what would happen is the priest would get the water from the temple, okay, and they would come and they would pour it on an altar with all these people shaking their branches. It sounded like rain. They're celebrating. There's music going on. They're like jamming. Today, they would have like, you know, they would rent the sound systems. It would just be like, I mean, it's like a, it's like a, a party. It's, it's as elaborate as you could get 2,000 years ago, which tells me that church should be a party. Whatever we can use to bring glory to God, just bring it in. You know, some people want to go, they were using, they were cutting edge. So they had these, you know, let's make it sound like rain, right? <laughs> cutting edge. And so the priest would take water and they would come out. They did the ceremony every day, except for the last day. And they would pour water out on the altar. The altar is the place of sacrifice. And they pour the water and the people would cheer. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you for a great year. But on the last day, They didn't do the ceremony. They didn't do the water ceremony. They would just come out, and instead of doing that, they would just pray for rain. So get this picture. All these people, they've been here for days. They wore out. Actually, if you study it, Jesus was actually teaching around during this week. Jesus was doing some teaching. He had actually developed a lot of enemies during this week. They were ready to kill Jesus, but it said that his time had not yet come, so he'd escaped from the people when they were trying to kill him. And so they're having this festival. It's the last day. Remember what it says in this scripture. The last day, all these ceremonies going on, the people shaking, and they're praying for rain. They're praying, Lord, let it rain. We want it to rain this year because it's a harvest festival. So they're praying, would we get a good rain, right, so our harvest will be better next year so we can do it again. Are you guys with me? In fact, they would actually sing this scripture, Isaiah 12, verse 3. It says, with joy we shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. So they were actually, they were doing this ceremony every year, but they were also crying out for the Messiah. So Jesus, on the last day of the feast, inappropriate, right? Shady Jesus, right? Jesus comes out and he goes up where the water had been poured out for days. The last day. And he stood up. And he said in a loud voice, 
Now, if you study that out in the Greek, it actually means a loud voice. So Jesus would stand up and he would shout. The New Living Translation says shout. And he shouted in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, you want rain? You want water? You want your crops to be good this year? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, I'm the one that you've been singing about. I'm the one that you've been longing for. You're crying out for blessing. Here it is. Here I am. And if you believe in me, and he's saying this today, if you will come to me, are you thirsty? Do you want to drink? Come and drink from this well. You know, it's interesting. They poured that water on that altar every day. And you know what Jesus did with his life? He poured the water on the altar. He poured himself out on that altar, that place of sacrifice. Jesus poured himself out so that we could experience the living water. So Jesus talks about this amazing living water, and then he gives us the credentials to drink it, right? The credential is this, are you thirsty? It's really not that deep, is it? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty today? Are you dry? Is your soul parched? Come on, are you dehydrated spiritually? Are you thirsty? You're qualified for the living water. If you're thirsty. Not if you've got it figured out. Not if you've been drinking from the well every day and you're fully hydrated. If you're thirsty. The problem is with most of us is we were thirsty. And we quit being thirsty so we don't live from the well anymore. We kind of moved away from the well and we remember when we drank, when we had an experience. But Jesus is saying, I want you to stay thirsty because I want to put a river in you. Are you thirsty? Then he says this, then come and drink. Come and drink. That's the credential. You got to be thirsty. You got to have need in your life. And the next thing, come and drink. We provided you guys a little water bottle right there. Just open that up and take a drink. Are you thirsty? Some of you already been like already put that down. It's all right. Grab your neighbors. Are you thirsty? Take a drink. Are you dry? Take a drink. Are you exhausted? You've been working hard all week. You know what you did? You just exemplified faith. See, faith's not difficult. We do it all all the time. You do it every Sunday when you come and you sit in that seat. You exemplify faith in the chair that you're sitting in. When you go to bed at night, when you lay down on that bed, you exemplify faith in that bed. What do you have to do? What What does it mean to believe? It means to come and drink. See, this is what Jesus' requirement for us is. Not that we have it all figured out. Not that we dot the I's and cross the T's. But the credential for this living water is come and drink. That's what it means to believe. 
Are you dry? Are you thirsty? Come to the river. Take a drink. And let me just say this. Don't leave the well. Stay close to the well. And then Jesus tells us what happens if we drink. And this is where it gets good. He says, water will flow from within them. One translation says, from the heart. Another translation says, the belly. That's actually the the actual translation is the belly. Out of your belly, you drink from me. You believe you come to me and you drink. That's all you got to do. And then out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And you won't have to cry out for the rain when you're desperate spiritually. You'll just have to drink from the well. Because listen, too many of us, too many of us for our spiritual refreshing, for the refreshing of our our lives, are waiting for the situations to change. We're waiting for the weather to change. We're waiting for a brighter day to do what God has called us to do. And Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to pour, this is what we view revival as. Oh, the rain. Lord, send your rain to the nation. I love that. We want the rain. But in the kingdom, the rain doesn't fall. The rain flows. And we need to quit crying out for the water to fall and start asking for the water to flow. And some of you just need to let it go and start releasing that water out of your life. Stop looking for other places to get your encouragement and realize that the river is in you if you'll come and drink. There's this old song we used to sing when I first got saved. It wasn't a real traditional church, but, you know, I guess every church back in those days used to sing some hymns. And we used to sing this song. I actually learned it helping out with, because uh, it was such an old song, they'd actually turn it into a, to a children's song. And it goes, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prisons, doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well. And make me whole, spring up a well, to me, that lie abundantly. You guys know that song? Listen, some, when you're feeling dry, release the river. Come and drink and release the river. Come and drink. It's right there. Live there. I, I, what I love about this song you know, we kinda, we've kind of dumbed it down to have little motions, you know. I remember teaching kids that, you know, open prison doors and, you know, have all this thing. Do you understand what you're saying when you sing that? You're saying that the power that makes blind people be able to see, people that are locked in bondage to be freed up, we're not praying that maybe it'll happen. We're saying, I got the river to release the healing. I've got the water to refresh the thirsty, and it flows out of me. I'm not waiting for another event. I'm not waiting for another conference. I'm not waiting on God. God's waiting on me. So let's quit quit complaining about the culture and talking about when the culture's ready. 
and let's let the river out. See, the hope of the world is in us. We simply need to open the floodgates. So we stop living on the dependence of rain and what falls, and we live a life that flows. How does that happen? It happens by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that you think the Holy Spirit is, you know, kind of like that weird uncle that shows up at the holidays. Some of you have treated him like that. The Holy Spirit is God inside of you that provides a river. And you need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you today, are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you living from that well? Are you connected to that river? And we see this. We see this happen later in Acts chapter 2. It says they were all in one accord. It says the Holy Spirit fell. And what, what did they do? They acted like the river. Well, Jesus is the living water. Okay. You know, what they, you know why the disciples were, you know, when they called them Christians, they weren't, it was, they were kind of accusing them. It was, they were insulting them. Oh, look, you little Christ people. You don't even have your own identity. You're just little Christians. Thank you, Jesus. My identity has been lost. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but him that lives in me. I am a little Christ. Come on. And they did the stuff Jesus did. They laid hands on the sick people. They opened prison doors. They set the captives free. The blind could see. All those things. Why? Because they drank from the river. Verse 40. John 7, where we're at. On hearing the words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. How many know if Jesus was just a prophet, he was a bad prophet? If Jesus was just a teacher, he was a bad teacher because the things that he prophesied about and the things that he taught about were untrue. No, Jesus, everything that Jesus said was true. Others said exactly what Jesus said is, I, He is the Christ. Still others, how can he come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that he'll come from David's family, from Bethlehem, the town where David lived, which he did? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. See, there are a lot of things to divide the people at the feast that day. They were from all nations. They were from different backgrounds, different religions. They were from different nations, tongues, and tribes. However, there was a unified clan that were thirsty that came to drink, and they believed. And those people were unified. There were Jews, Romans, people from different nations. Today, there would be Anglos, Latinos, black people, Asian people, Middle Eastern people, all people. Just like the Feast of Tabernacles. All people from different backgrounds. There were locals. They were immigrants, and they all came together, not because of how they were born, but because of the man who died. And listen, we are unified because we are thirsty, and we came to drink. We don't have to come from the same place. We go to the same well. That's what brings us together. This is what changes us. This is what's different. This is why the crowd was divided. Why was the crowd divided? Because a lot of people in the crowd were wrong, and a lot of the people were right. And they weren't right in their own. They just choose to put their faith in the right man. 
And that's what brings us together. That's what brings us together. We all have different backgrounds. Come on. We, some of us have different political persuasions. But we know the most important thing is the one who died for us. The one who provides the living water. It don't matter the color of your skin. Or your economic situation. Or your lack of economic situation. All that matters is that you said, hey, I'm going to come to the well. And I'm going to drink. And these people that did that transformed the world. And they didn't do it politically. They didn't do it on Facebook. Scripture said that we read the book of Acts. It says the world was turned upside down. Why? Because they were a unified people. And I tell you what, I believe in this, these people in this room right now. And I believe that we can all come together. And we're not going to agree on everything. There's not a chance, but there's one thing that we agree on. There's a man. And we are thirsty. And we come. And we drink. And he is the unifier. I asked you again, have you been filled with the Spirit of God? Have you drank from that well? Have you drank from that river? See, we are the undivided. We are. Not because we work at the same job. Come on. Not because our homes look identical. We are united, the undivided, because of Jesus. See, something extraordinary happens when people come together. And this is what happened in the book of Acts. It says that, that they were together. They were of one accord. They weren't all from the same family. They had little things that you can read through the book of Acts. There were things that they disagreed with. But they had this one common thread. They were filled with the Spirit because they came and they drank. See, we as a church, we have come together. We've gathered together around this man. Jesus, because we were thirsty. And we said, Lord, I need a drink. And he said, well, let me give you one. And then he set up this well here in Grand Prairie. And he said, there's a good well for you to drink from. And so what unites us is that we drink from the same well. We are overflow. It's the well that we drink from. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all figured out. We all make mistakes. We're all weak at times. But we drink from the same well, we'll have disagreements, we'll have arguments, but we, we're family. We drink from the same well. We live in the same well. So how do we fit together? As the people of God, how do we fit together? Because a lot of times it's easy to focus on our differences, except for the things that are really important, the thing that we agree upon, the main thing. Come on, are you right? Are you with me? Because a lot of times we want to disagree with the little things, and we allow that to become the big thing. How many of you know that we have fallen prey to the enemy when we do that? Y'all okay today? So how do we fit together? Well, you get connected like a puzzle. We have that? You see, a puzzle has to come together to get connected, doesn't it? You have to take those little pieces. Can we pass those pieces out? A puzzle piece, if I, if I walk around and I'm like, look at my puzzle piece. Look at my purpose. Look at my destiny. Right? Look what God's called me to do. Are you guys with me? How how good is that? Look what I got. Check this out. Look what I got. That does no good. See, as a church, 
We can't fulfill our purpose unless you fulfill your purpose. Unless we get unified. Unless we are undivided. You know, it's kind of like this guy trying to get this puzzle piece up there to make it fit. He's got to bring it together. He's got to put it in place. Are you with me? We are all a piece of the puzzle. But the only way a puzzle piece fulfills its purpose is if it's connected. And listen, overflow might not be the body, the well that you drink from. I hope it will be. But you need to find somewhere and you need to get connected because that's what God created you for. He didn't create you so you could frame a little puzzle piece and go, look at my beautiful puzzle piece. Look at that. I got, the, I got a corner piece. Ooh, I got a straight edge on mine. Let's just be real. This puzzle that we're a part of, it doesn't have no borders. Come on. There's no edges on this puzzle. So how do we connect the pieces? How do we connect it? Well, the first thing that we do is we be present. You be present. You be here. You be faithful. I mean, how are we going to get connected? How are we going to connect if we don't ever spend time together? Be present. Show up. It's a great place to start. Number two is be planted. Be a part of the family. Don't just show up. Get connected. Put your roots down. Establish some roots. Establish your place. Get in on what is happening. And <clears throat> we're, listen, be a part of the family. We're not just being religious. We're walking around and growing in God together. This is what we're doing. So be planted. Number three, be passionate. We're not talking about just in your praise. You, you need to do that. We need to be that. But, but get in on it. I mean, Get in and what God has provided for you. Drink. It's a good well. And let me tell you this. The more that you move your heart to get connected, the more your heart will benefit. I've been doing this ministry thing for a long time. I've been in the ministry for over 20 years. And the story is always the same for people that get disconnected. They stop showing up, stop serving, they Oh, I'm tired. I'm wore out. They disconnect. Then they start getting critical. Then they start criticizing and complaining and all that kind of stuff. It's just the way it works. It's the way people work. Why? Because many times we're waiting for an event to happen, right, to make our heart right, rather than just getting connected or making sure that uh, let's let's see. Uh, uh, nah, uh, that might not work. And so we don't invest. We're not passionate about our investment. And so what happens is we don't lead our heart there. How many know that you don't follow your heart? I know it's cute on a sign at Target or Hobby Lobby, follow your heart, but it's a bunch of garbage. I could have used a stronger word. You don't follow your heart. That's foolish. You lead your heart. You be passionate. You get plugged in. You be planted. Number four, be a, be proactive. Be a bringer. You want to you drink from this well? Bring people to drink from the well. Don't just attend. Don't be an attender. Be a bringer. Bring people to the well. Don't you want them to experience what you're experiencing? I mean, don't you love them? Be a bringer. Be a bringer. You know, um, we are always, because we're the pastors, we are always trying to 
bring people? How can we bring people? How can we pray people? How can we get people into the church? How can we get people into the church? How can we get, you know, families in our church? And, you know, all these kind of things that trouble us all the time. But really, the greatest promoter and the, the, the greatest way to be proactive in your church is just invite somebody to go to church. Most people, I don't have the stat in front of me, but most people said that they would just go, they would go to church if someone invited you. If, they, if, if someone just invited me, I would go. Very few will see the Facebook post and go. Very few will see the billboard and go. We don't have a billboard. You're the billboard. Few people will drive by and decide to come in. But most people, if you'll just say, hey, you should come to church with me sometime. Maybe you don't have the boldness to be like, you're blind in your left eye. Let's pray for that. You'll get there. Maybe you don't have the boldness yet. But you can say, in your heart, I think if they got to overflow there, I would get healed. And maybe that's the faith that you have at this point. Then you could just say, hey, you go to church anywhere on Sundays? Oh, no. Uh, Church is weird. It's traditional. It's, you know, these preachers with their big hair and fancy shoes, you know, whatever. Big, nice, elaborate cars, little big houses, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you should come with me. Overflow's different. It's not like that. Oh, I got burned by church. Oh, man, we, we're full of a church of people that have been burned by church. But we're drinking from a well. You should just come with me sometime. Oh, okay. Think about it. Be a bringer. And then, and then you can show up late that Sunday because you're going to go by their house and you're going to pick them up and bring them. And then you're going to buy them lunch. Why? Why would you buy them lunch? Because you want to be a blessing. Didn't somebody buy you lunch one time? Yeah. Don't be a taker. Or be a giver. Be proactive. You know, without a vision, Proverbs 29, 18, without a vision, the people perish. But without the people, without the people, the vision perishes. So if we're not all in on the vision and we're not inviting people and bringing people and picking people up and taking them to lunch, the vision dies. We have a great vision that people would encounter the Lord. Everything will be solved in their life. They won't be perfect, but the greatest issues, the core needs of their life will be met. Every issue is solved at the well. We know this. Well, not every, yes, every issue. Because when you drink from this well and you don't have a job, you'll go out and get one and you'll make money because you drank from the well. Oh, the Lord wants me to be responsible. Yes. He'll do that kind of stuff to you. Lord, I need money. You get a phone call. Oh, yeah, you applied for a job here six months ago. Lord, I'm just waiting for money. (laughs) Drink from that well. Listen, don't just come to church. Be the church. This is not, you know, people say this all the time to us. Oh, your church. We really like your church. It's not our church. Not mine and Leslie's church. It's not the staff's church. Oh, I like your church. It's not your church. There's no, it's we, it's our church. It's our church together, collectively. It's your church. It's his church, ultimately, right? Come on. So be proactive. And number five, be purposeful. Everybody say purposeful. Listen, find your purpose here. Why did God bring you to overflow? So you get encouraged on a Sunday morning? Yeah, that's a great place to start. But why are you here? Why did God put you here? Why did God call you to this well? 
Did he just call you to come and drink so you could have a good church to raise your family in? That's step one. When you're discouraged, you can come and people will pray for you or you got some spiritual need in your life. They can, yes, part of it, that's, but be purposeful. If you invest, you will get blessed. It's the way it is. It is not, there's no other way around it. You reap what you sow. So if you don't sow your heart here, you won't receive much. Be purposeful. Why are you here? One of the passages that that I've really that have really marked my life is Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 and it says that Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom not just the gospel of salvation it's a great gospel the gospel of the kingdom which means this whole encompassing thing that God has for humanity and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he was doing the work. What work? The gospel of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is not just salvation. It's also healing. It's also deliverance, freedom. It's all the gospel of the kingdom. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Because they were weary and scattered. I might add that they were thirsty and they were like sheep who didn't have a shepherd. One of the jobs for the shepherd is to lead the sheep to water. And part of the problem with sheep is if they go and they drink from a river that's flowing too hard, they drink from that, their coat can get sucked in. But if they haven't been properly, properly, properly groomed, they can actually get their coat wet, their wool almost said cotton, their, their wool into that river and they can pull in and they can drown because they can't swim their sheep and the weight of the wool. So sheep need shepherds to drink from the river. And so Jesus was troubled, not just by their need, but because they didn't have leadership in their life. They didn't have an influence in their life. They didn't have someone to lead them, to take them to where they needed to go. And this troubled Jesus, and he had compassion on them. This is the way that we need to see lost people. Not frustrated at them because they don't know the way, or they, we don't agree on issues, or they're evil, or some weird scenario like that. But we look at them and we see them, they need the Lord's leadership in my life, in their life. Then he said to his disciples, so he was troubled by this. He was like, man, they're, they're like sheep. They're like lost. They're wandering. They're going to drown. They're going to get eaten by wolves. They're going to get diseases. If, if, if someone doesn't lead them, what will happen? He was troubled by this. He had compassion on them for this reason. And he says to his disciples, the harvest, the harvest is truly plentiful. Other words, there's sheep out there looking for shepherds. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are a lot of lost sheep, but there aren't a lot of shepherds. And Jesus could have been talking about pastors, but could he also just be talking about people that would go and look 
for the people that are lost. Go look for the people that are hurting and bring them to the man Jesus. And he says this, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers, to send forth workers, to send forth shepherds to the people that have no leadership in their life. What many have done is they've taken this passage and said, I won't be a shepherd. I'll just be a prayer. I'll pray for the, for the workers. In fact, Jesus didn't say pray for the harvest. He said the harvest is ready. Can I tell you, in 2017, in Grand Prairie, Texas, and in the Metroplex, the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Let's just be real. There's few of us that are going out and advancing the kingdom of God. There's very few. But will we be the ones that not only pray the prayer, Lord, send forth laborers. So when we pray for people to come into this church, we're not praying for the harvest. We're praying for you guys. We're saying, Lord, would they be the bringers? We're asking that you send forth laborers, that they would come in, they would drink from the well, and they would go out and bring people to drink from the well. The harvest is ready. People are prime waiting for you to tell them about Jesus. They're waiting for it. If you're, if you're any kind of decent Christian, they already know you're a Christian. You shouldn't have to tell, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian after I knew you for six years. They should probably already know that. They probably already think, if you're really living for Jesus, they probably already think you're a little bit radical, not because you're angry and anti-everything, but because you're upbeat and you have a river flowing out of you. They probably already know something's different about you. But what are you going to do about that knowledge? Are you going to lead them to the place? Or are you just going to pity them? Because pity and compassion are not the same thing. Jesus had compassion and he said, pray. Be the laborers. Listen, it's the only prayer that we have to answer when we pray. Lord, send forth laborers. He goes, well, I'm sending you forth. Yes, And Lord, bring more laborers. And this has been our prayer for the last five years of this church. Lord, send us laborers. Send us workers. Send us people that will come and and advance the kingdom and do the work and and grow a church in Grand Prairie. Not because Grand Prairie needs another growing church, but because there are a lot of sheep out there that need shepherds. Because there is a harvest out there that is ripe and ready. So we said, Lord, we'll be the ones. We'll be the ones to lead people. We'll be the ones to go out and get people. But the harvest is so big, I can't do it alone. Your staff, they can't do it alone. We need laborers. We need workers. We need people that says, you know what? This is who I am. I have a piece of the puzzle, and I want to contribute. What is your place in this house? Why did God bring you to this river? Why did God bring you to this well? Why? What is your place here? I'm going to share this, and then we're going to pray. That word, send forth, is a word that is ekbalo. And the root of that word is the same word where we get the word ekklesia. Two weeks ago, we talked about the ekklesia. Ekklesia is the called out ones, the church. Anytime in the New Testament you see the word church, it's ekklesia. So Jesus is saying, I came to establish my ekklesia. And then he says this, go forth. Ekbalo, it means to cast out. It's the same word that Jesus casted demons out when he said, come forth, come out, leave. So Jesus does this. Ecclesia, you're mine. I pulled you out. The harvest was ready and I rescued you. And then he says, Ekbalo, go out and get them. 
And this is the heart of Jesus for you. He rescued you. He saved you. He said, come on, be part. I'm calling you out. I have a purpose for you. You're mine. You're like, yes, I love that. So we sit in worship and we never ekbalo. But Jesus is saying it's not just enough to be the ecclesia. I need you to be the ekbalo. I need you to be the ones that are going out, that you're cast forth, that you're going to the nations. They were going to the city. Will you be the ones? Will you be your part? Will you play your role? We need you. Your pastor needs you. Your pastors need you. Your staff needs you. Your church needs you. But can I tell you this, and some of you won't like this, Jesus needs you. Because God doesn't does very little on the earth without his church. Very little. Will you be the ones? Will you be the ones?